If you are visiting with us this morning, then um, you'll know that through this summer uh, break that we're going through the book of James. And um, James is an amazing book, and we're about halfway, I think actually over halfway through now. And we're, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 uh, this morning. It's, it's great for me to be here at Seaford uh, Church. Um, it doesn't seem that long ago that my wife and I would come here every Sunday afternoon to be a part of uh, getting this church going and leading the worship. And uh, I remember those times just really fondly. I loved it and just feel so privileged. And now just to see uh, the church developing and actually quite a lot of new faces uh, that I've never, never met before. And so it's just great to see what God is doing here. And uh, I count it a privilege to be a part of the team with Jez and Ollie and Graham and, and Andrew who, uh, who lead this amazing work called Kings, uh, which we have here in Eastbourne at Centro and here in Seaford. And so thank you for having me this morning. I've, I love the worship. I thought Ellie led just so well. Isn't she a gifted girl? Ads, you've got a good one there, mate. Make sure you look after her. And it's just lovely having her leading the worship. And uh, she, she leads one of the worship teams, I think, up in Bedford. So it's great to have her involved here. And so we are looking forward to having her move to Eastbourne, not Seaford, Ellie. Eastbourne, uh, to be a part of, uh, part of our church. So we're in the book of James, and uh, James is a, an amazing character. Uh, he only... Uh, wrote one of the books in the New Testament, uh, and it was named after him. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus. Okay, so he's Mary and Joseph's son, and uh, James is not the James that uh, we can hear about in the Gospels, where uh, it's John and James, the the sons of uh, Zebedee. So it's not that James. Uh, James actually was quite late. To believing in Jesus. He wasn't really a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. And so um, it was interesting. I guess if you are, you've been brought up with Jesus, then it must be a different dynamic to, okay, okay, is this guy who was my brother, is he the son of God? And so that's weird. But actually when Jesus rose from the, the dead, James uh, became a follower of Jesus and ultimately became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And uh, he, he remained the leader of the Jerusalem church until he was martyred. He was stoned to death in AD 62. And he was committed, and we can see that so powerfully in his book, committed to community. And you can understand that when you understand the background of the church in Jerusalem, when you understand it was under incredible persecution, the Pharisees and the various sects of Judaism were opposed to the church. But actually, if you read in, in some non-biblical history, you see that James actually had influence even amongst the, the Judaism leaders or the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other sects of Judaism, they would come to James and they would say, come on, tell us about this Jesus. And James would boldly say, well, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah and he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was very bold in his faith. And it was actually that boldness in James's faith that history tells us uh, that the, they stoned him to death. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that long after that, that there was the massive uprising 
and, uh, and Rome took over Jerusalem and the temple was brought down uh, in around about AD 70. So uh, James was an amazing character and he t- firmly and obviously strongly believed in community and it's community that I want us to look at uh, a little bit this morning. That's going to be uh, my, my priority. He was committed to community and our whole life whether we like it or not, but our whole life from our birth right through to the, the day that we pass away is all about interacting with people. Uh, unless we hold ourselves up in some place and just you know, lock the door, we are going to be interacting with people all of the time. And so um, interaction, how we handle community is really, really important. Uh, my own personal story is that I'm not naturally a people's person. My default position would be if I had a choice, I would spend the evening at home on my own. I love my own company and I love my own space. And that sounds like, oh, he's not a very nice character. But I bet there's a few people in this room who are like that. Actually, there's often two types of people. You've got the one who just loves to get out. My wife is a bit like this. She just loves being with people. She loves hanging out. She loves going to parties. She just loves being with people. And and if I had a choice, I'd rather go be at home and just watch something on television. I just find that so much easier. And uh, and some of it is because I'm wired that way. I just like my own company. But some of it actually is because I sometimes feel awkward around other people. I still have insecurity in me that makes me feel nervous. And maybe even in my mind, I'm asking myself questions. What are these people thinking about me? Am I, am I coming across okay? Do they like me? Um, you know, am I, is, you know, is my tie straight? You know, is, and, you know, I'm thinking all those things th- are going in my mind. And a lot of that is because of insecurity and pride in my own life. And so some of the things, some of our barriers to community may be just kind of the way we wired, but actually it's important that we overcome some of those things. And that's what God has taught me over the years. And Lynn and I, my wife and I, we got involved in Alpha just over the last two years. And that is totally not the place we'd naturally want to serve. Actually, I find it easier to be up here than kind of one-on-one uh, because there's maybe just not quite such an intimate connection. But in Alpha, I started to have to talk to people about Jesus. And, uh, and I, I, start, I had to communicate people on a, on a relationship level. And it was difficult, but I could see that. And I can see this all the way through my life. The Holy Spirit saying, you're not going to get away with that, Thorpe. I want you to connect with people. I want you to relate to people. And, uh, and so God's been working on me for years, actually. And uh, when, I was, when I was 20, and I'd, I was 21, I think, and I was just about to get married, and uh, I realized I needed to get a proper job so I could support my wife. And my natural default was to, I must go and get a warehouse job, something in the background, something where I won't have to meet too many people. And I remember my mum and dad saying, no, Andy, why don't you just go for a sales job? You're great at talking to people. I said, I hate talking to people. And I hate meeting new people. And I ended up working for Rumbelows. Anyone remember Rumbelows, the electrical retailers? Yeah, that dates me, doesn't it? Now you're figuring out, how old is this guy here? Well, I worked for Rumbelow, selling washing machines and televisions. And, uh, and in that environment, I got used to meeting people, hundreds of new people every day. And that actually was kind of against uh, where I was. So today, 
just we're going to look at community. James is all about community, the importance of Christian community, what are the barriers to Christian community, and how we break through those barriers. So we're going to be reading uh, from the message translation uh, because I think Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the message, has done a fantastic job, which I think actually in these verses just communicates so well. And we're going to be reading from James uh, chapter 3, verse 17, through to chapter 4, verse 12. So here we go. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. And it's characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable. It's overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next. Not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Hey, think again. They come about because you want your own way. And you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking what you have no right to have. You're spoiled children each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all, of you, if all you want is your own way, you're flirting with the world every chance you get. You end up enemies of God and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He is, fiercely je- he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. But God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God. And he'll be there for you in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit rock bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and the games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get up on your feet. Don't bad mouth each other. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message and not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? Verse 18 there just says, James says, you can develop a healthy robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results 
only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with dignity and honor. Loving one another and living with one another and putting up with each other can be really hard work. Have you noticed that the community that God has placed you in is made up of people that many you wouldn't normally hang out with? The church is unique. It's made up of such a diverse group of people. It's unlike any social club or sports club. It's different. It's a massive variety of people. And at times we have to work at, uh, at being together and have being in relationship together. I have a very close friend, actually, he's probably one of my best friends, a guy called Martin Cooper, who's uh, one of our worship leaders. He leads the worship at Central, Centro and uh, as a, is a songwriter. And we've uh, become really good friends. But actually, there have been many times in, in our history that we've fallen out badly. There were times where we faced each other up across tables where we just couldn't agree on, uh, on things and we both left in a huff. And, uh, but over time, through hi- actually mainly his humility, he's come to me and uh, often and said, Andy, I'm really sorry about that. I, I shouldn't have said that. And, uh, and then I've realized, oh gosh, yeah, I shouldn't have said what I said. And over time, our relationship has become really, really close because it's been tested through trial and through time and uh, and often we have to get off our high high horse and humble ourselves and uh, and and sort those things out so that we can have relationship together you know our western culture is individualistic our society says well you can just choose who you want to be you can be the person that you want to be it's all about the decisions that you make and uh, you know it's not History, history has shown time and time again that we are shaped more by the people that we're with than by the choices that we make. It's the people that you are with. You know, my son uh, came up to me a few months ago and he, and he said to me, and he's 28 now, and he said to me, Dad, I realized recently just how much I'm like you. And I thought to myself, oh no, is that good or bad? Because I just can remember him saying to me when he was about 17, Dad, you're always grumpy. And I'm thinking to myself, does that mean he's always grumpy now? And so we're often like the people. And how many teenagers say, when I grow up, I'm not going to be like my mum and dad. And then when you look at them, you think you're just like your mum and dad. And, uh, and what's this thing with, uh, with dogs and their owners? Have you noticed that? How many owners of dogs look exactly like their dog. Wherever you go, I can see little smirks across the room. How many dog owners do we have in in this room? There's a few. Now, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) But I I don't know, I'm always amazed. But you know what? We become what we're around. The more time that we're with people, we become like those people. So actually, one of the most precious decisions that we can make is being around the the right community. And I think the church is the right community. It's strange. It's made up of all kinds of people. It's multicultural. It's very, very diverse. But wow, what a community. And we're all growing together to become like like Jesus. So it's an important decision. And so does church happen? Does community happen on a Sunday only? Well, in part it does, and, and we can have a great time like we did even there, just watching you interact with, with one another and just kind of working out community. But real community doesn't just happen here on a Sundays. 
It happens in the week. It happens, uh, it happens when we need each other. It happens when someone's struggling and someone else in their small group gets alongside them and says, how can I help you? So Sundays are important, but midweek life and community life together is really important. You know, we have two, we have two ladies in our, in our church at Hamden Park, and um, both of their mums died on the same day. In fact, it was Boxing Day. And, uh, and a few weeks later, I remember speaking to one of them, and uh, one of the, the ladies said to me, I have never felt so cared for and so loved in the whole of my life. And when I spoke to the other lady, that lady said, I've never felt so alone and so not cared for in the whole of my life. And yet the difference between those two women, one was in a life group and one wasn't. One had a group of people around them that cared for them and got alongside them and was there when they needed them and the other didn't. And so being a part of the Christian community, not just Sundays, is really, really important. We become... Uh, like those people that we hang around with. So what are the barriers? We see that community is really important, but what are the barriers to community? James kind of unpacks them a little bit in, uh, in chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. It says this, Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourself. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. If uh, you want what isn't yours and you'll risk violence to get your hands on it. You know, I'm amazed when I look at Facebook and I see Christians talking about other Christians on Facebook or actually people in church talking about other people in other churches. I'm amazed at actually how vindictive we can be and Graham recently uh, told one of our elders who was really actually getting affected by just reading Facebook comments and thinking oh my word is that going on in the church is that going on that person saying this thing about that person that Graham said to um, to my friend, I think you should just close your Facebook account down because it's affecting how you're feeling. And you know, that it does that for me many times. I think, oh my word, it's great, a great tool to communicate. But how many times do we just see cr- so much critical, cr- criticism and so much bad mouthing? You know, for a while, Lynn and I lived in, in Richmond in Virginia in, in America and we were helping to, to plant the church there and uh, it amazed me one day to find out there was two guys in, in our church they were gathered together and worship on a Sunday but I found out that one of them was suing the other one. That shouldn't be. James says that shouldn't be. Jesus says that shouldn't be. And uh, some, I'm sure that's not happening here in Seaford Church, but actually it can be happening in, in subtler ways, in smaller ways. I want my way. You know, my natural default position, as I said before, is to, to go and spend some time on my own when actually I need to be with community. Sometimes I want to rush off on a Sunday. I don't want to hang around talking to people. I want to get home and watch the Formula One. And, uh, but actually, we need to work. I need to work 
at community. It's really, really important. And so our individualism, our quarrels, our fighting, the me, the, th- the thing that says, I just want what I want. I want to live my life for me. Sometimes we just need to say, no, I'm going to make a decision to live my life for others. James says it's like you're flirting with the world. You are cheating on God. And he says it shouldn't be like that. If you become a friend of the world, you end up being an enemy of God. In fact, James says an amazing visual illustration. If it's like we're getting hold of the Bible or the message and spraying graffiti over it. There's something so wrong about our criticism of one another. And James says it shouldn't be like this. Let me just read these verses in, in John, which are really important. We start to see God's heart for community. It's just a few hours before Jesus was to die on the cross. And he gathered with his disciples in the, in the upper room. And he was just about to walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and to, to pray. And he prayed uh, for his disciples. And let me just read that prayer to you, which is, which is uh, uh, recorded in John 17, verse 20 and 22. Let me read it to you. I'm praying not only for them, that's his current disciples and followers, but also for those who believe in me. So that's for us. He was praying for us as well, those of us who would become followers in the future, those who will believe in me, because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become of one heart and one mind. That's Jesus' prayer for us. It must have been an important prayer because it was one of the last prayers he prayed just before he went to the cross. And he goes on to say, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. You know, the number one tool in our toolbox to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is the way we relate to one another. The way we love one another reflects the relationship that God has with, the, with Jesus, where the Father has with Jesus and the Holy Spirit reflects who God is. So when we argue, when we quarrel, when we run our own way, we're dishing who God is. And so if you want to be an effective representative of Jesus, then live in harmony together. Live loving one another. Live caring for one another. Not just loving in the crisis. I think sometimes we can be good at that. We can love when things go wrong, when someone loses a loved one, when, uh, when someone um, you know, has a major event in their life. We get alongside them. But at times, it's just, take, it's just in a small thing. It's taking the initiative to text someone because God just drops their name into your mind in the week. And so I'm going to text Joyce and I'm going to say, Hey, Joyce, how are you doing? I'm praying that God's going to bless you today. And by the way, I think Joyce's world was just so good. Yeah, so good. God is working out his will in our life through community. He's transforming us. His desire is to change us. And he does that in community. He makes us more like him. So it's often our little ordinary decisions 
the things that we do off the cuff, the little texts that we send, the little, you know, it's that little gift, that little thought that counts. That's that, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we get alongside. It doesn't have to be a crisis. I think we're actually often quite good in the crisis. But it's actually in the everyday, it's in the encouragement, it's that putting your head around someone's door and just saying, how are you doing? Putting your arm around someone's shoulder and saying, how's it going? Not because they've lost a loved one, but just because they're your brother and sister, living out community together. Because when people who don't know Jesus see that, they see something of the character of God reflected in us as we live out of community together. So that's why James is so keen to get this right. And um, why it's so important. Random acts of kindness. You know, something I was challenged about a couple of weeks ago. I realized that if God ever asked me to give someone a gift, maybe bless someone with 20 pounds or, or just some money just to help them buy some food, I wasn't in a position to do it because I never carry cash in my wallet. And you can't really just say, look, can I, do you take a credit card? So if you want to give someone a gift, do you take a debit card? No, but having cash in my wallet, I thought, actually, I felt really challenged about that. Am I ready to bless someone financially? So I've started carrying cash in my wallet. And I've got this little compartment in my wallet where I'm just going to keep enough cash in there so I can bless someone, be ready to bless someone. I was just so, I, it's something I saw in somebody else's life, and I thought, that is so good. I'm totally unprepared to bless people. I live my life just to get on, just to get through, just to tick all the boxes on, my, on the agenda that's ahead of me. But no, God's called us to bless one another, to live, to bless. And, uh, and you know, our, our unity as a community will reflect the glory of Jesus. Little, little random acts of kind, little ordinary decisions that we make. So how do we break through? How do we break through this barrier of selfishness and living for ourselves? Well, we can see that we can take little steps. But actually, we see that pleasing ourselves is the cause that causes us not to think about community. That's one of the reasons. But what's the cause of the cause? And James just takes it another whole step further as we move on in this passage. And he says this in verse 6 of chapter 4. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. But God gives grace to the willing humble. In the SV I think it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the problem that's in our hearts really is pride. That keeps ourselves to ourselves. That's the, my main problem is pride. Why well, I would rather just be on my own. That's the way I'm wired in a kind of sense. But actually I need to overcome it because I can see pride just getting in there. I want my own independence. But actually God's saying, I want you to go out of your way to bless someone you wouldn't normally bless. I want you to encourage. James goes on to say, and I love it again in the message, so let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says in the more of a traditional translation, yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes 
to God and he'll be there in no time. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get back on your feet again. You two wrote a great song called Mysterious Ways. I'm a big U2 fan. One of the lines in the song says, if you want to kiss the sky, you better learn how to kneel. Boy, you better learn how to kneel. If you want to rise to the heights, you need to learn to kneel. You need to learn to serve. You need to learn to give. Pride kills community. Humility builds community. Pride is a poison act. Uh, humility is an antidote. Pride is more aware of others' faults than ours. Humility is more aware of our own faults than others. Pride leads to an air of contempt. Humility is more aware of our own faults. Sorry, humility leads to an air of grace. Pride separates you from others. Humility sticks it out with others. Pride is dogmatic. My opinion matters. Humility is flexible. Your opinion matters. Pride loves to confront in order to win. Humility carefully confronts in order to heal. Pride loves self-importance and self-pity. Humility has no rights to self and no self-pity. I'm just coming to the end my talk this morning, I just want to kind of give you a couple of other, other verses. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Paul writing to Philippians says this in chapter 2 and verses 3 to 8, Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And again, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. Selfishness is the cause, but the cause of the cause is pride. And how are we going to counteract that? We're going to counteract it by following Jesus' example. He is our ultimate example. We're going to learn to live like Jesus because that's the best way to live. We're going to have to make conscious decisions, taking action, deciding every day, what can I do today? to bless someone in my community. And when we start to do that really well here in this community, that spills out into the wider community, into the seafood community. So that people around start to see, ah, I can see the love of, God, of Jesus in that community by the way they love and serve one another. And can I just finish with just, just with this? 
It was the Last Supper. And the disciples were gathered. They probably had no idea of what was about to take place. They must have sensed something was happening. It was almost like things were coming to a climax. How was it all going to end? Was it going to be some big battle? Was Jesus going to stir up an uprising? Was there going to be freedom from tyranny and, and Rome? Or what was going on? There, was, there had been incredible miracles. Jesus had been proving himself powerful as the Son of God. His words were such words of wisdom. They were healing words. They were words that transformed. And these disciples were drawn to him in some incredible way. But something was happening and Jesus gathered them around that, that table. It was an important feast. It was the Passover feast and they, they gathered and they, as, they, as, they, as they ate and as they drank, Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. That he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table and he set aside his robe and he put on an apron. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples and drying them with his apron. And when he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. And Peter persisted, You're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. And what I'm doing... Master, said Peter, not only my feet, then wash my hands and you wash my head. And then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you, what I've done. You do also. Remarkable. You want to be someone in the kingdom? Be a servant. Hours later, Jesus was walking to the cross and fulfilled a pattern for us to follow. The more we follow Jesus, the more feet get washed. Acts of kindness show gratitude. Acts of kindness show patience. Acts of kindness show perseverance. Acceptance without prejudice. Acts of kindness show Jesus. Because Jesus shows kindness. Can you just stand to your feet with me? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask Ellie and the team just to come back up. I really don't want us to leave. And I'm speaking to myself. I don't want us to leave. Say, well, that was good and there was lots of scripture there and I can see that Jesus wants us to live out community and to serve one another. It'd be easy to leave it like that. Actually, we could go home and watch the Formula One or watch the end of the ashes and hope that England will break through. And, um, or we could stick around and we can live out community. And we can get alongside someone and say, actually, how's it going? How's it really going? How are things going in your life? I want to pray with you. I want to stand with you. I want to bless you. I want to, this week, I want to send you a text. I want to encourage you. I want to 
share a scripture with you or say, can I help you in any way? This week. Not leave it until next week. Not leave it until summer break's over. This week. What are you going to do? What am I going to do this week? Are we going to start carrying a bit of cash in our, in our purses and our wallets? How can we bless someone? Are we ready to give? someone a gift that would just it's not about the money but will somehow make them think oh my word Jesus loves me Jesus cares for me and as we live that out as we live that in community it's just so powerful so I'm going to pray I'm going to pray that God inspires us with great things but I'm also going to pray that if pride has gripped our hearts that we can follow Jesus example and come and wash one another's feet and just swallow our pride Lord, I thank you for this wonderful community that you have gathered together, people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of history. But you've gathered them together, Lord, to reflect your glory, to demonstrate what it is to to be a people of the love of God, to show kindness. And I pray that this week and the, the weeks and the months ahead, this, this community that's already generous, that's already loving and that's already kind would just go the extra mile. That, Lord God, you would use them to glorify your name through their acts of kindness to one another and to those outside. And I pray, oh God, that you would just humble those that struggle. Humble us, Lord. Humble me. I'm struggling this area. I love to be on my own, but God, help me to take more steps, to reach out, to be involved with people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.